0: Good morning, Uh, Pastor Joe and Karen are off celebrating their 20th anniversary, Uh, and so I have had the opportunity to continue on in the book of Hebrews. Uh, I just wanted to give one minor announcement uh, to our high school students. Tonight is the new time for light, Uh, It is 6.30 to 8.30. Not 7 to 8.30. So just a little reminder. Uh, before we jump into the Word, I just want to take a moment to pray. So if you would pray with me as we uh, as we go before God's throne uh, to hear His Word. Heavenly Father, we thank You for all that You do. We thank You for showing us who You are in so many ways. We thank You that we have the opportunity to read Your Word. To hear Your Word. To see Your Word lived out in those around us. Father, we thank You that we have an opportunity to study and to learn and to grow closer to You because You have left us with Your Word. And so, Father, this morning as we worship together by studying it, I pray that you speak to us, that you speak to our hearts, and to our minds, and to our souls as we dive in deeper to who you are. Father, I pray that you speak through me, uh, that your word be a blessing to those that hear it. Father, we just ask that you be in this time, and we pray all of these things in Jesus' holy name. Amen. I... uh, I love the opportunity during the week to study uh, for a sermon because I spend a lot of time reading through commentaries and reading scripture and going all over the Bible and I read so much that oftentimes I could write a 20 or 30 page sermon but the reality is that God wants us to thin it down and, and share with you the heart of the message and what he's teaching us as we study in that moment and so to get a chance to dive in uh, to our series a little deeper is always fun so this morning we're going to be in hebrews chapter 12 verses 18 through 24 and before we start i want to give a little recap of where we've been in chapter 12 because chapter 12 presents wisdom on living a christian life using the metaphor of running a long distance race now, if you've watched any of the Olympics, you've seen a few of the long-distance races and how challenging and hard they can be. I know that I've watched them and sat there and thought, man, are they ever going to stop running? And I would be tired from watching them. See, long-distance races test endurance and fitness. Our ability to handle multiple facets of our own bodies, breathing, breathing. Conditioning, even our willpower. Following Christ, though, is a lifelong spiritual run, and it will take a lot of spiritual training to accomplish that. Verses 1 through 3 present the basics of how we run. We must run with perseverance, laying aside activities and sin that hinder us, while staying solely focused on Christ, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Verses 4 through 11 advise us of the race's hardships and our use of them for our own spiritual discipline. and verses 12 through 17 that Joe shared with us last week, give us a warning of the lifestyle that will hinder our running and how to guard against that, as well as how we can do well as we run along the way. Like with the physical race, our spiritual race comes with a mix of its own hardships. The Jewish Christians that Hebrews is addressing in this book would have a maraud of problems to deal with. The rejection from their family and friends, as it seemed, they chose to reject their own heritage. There would be a constant voices crying out to them. You're headed in the wrong direction. You've left behind your faith. What about Abraham and Moses? Why are you following this Jesus guy anyways? You've forsaken your faith, and so you will lose God's blessing. These accusations would have been commonplace for these new Jewish Christians. The writer of Hebrews is addressing this line of spiritual trials in verses 18 through 24, contrasting where they had come from to where they are going, the contrast between Mount Sinai and Zion. As I was studying this message, one thought came to my mind in the comparison of the two. It reminded me of the difference between an advertisement of a product or a restaurant and the reality of what you actually get. Now, if you've ever watched a commercial for a hamburger, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, If you did not know this, if you were to eat a hamburger that they shot a video of, most likely you'd be very sick. Uh, Because what they do is not only do they Photoshop that picture, but they use glue and they use special paste and it's not actually edible. So when you watch these advertisements for these pictures of these burgers, you see these, this beautiful piece of meat surrounded by vibrant and crisp lettuce and a nice juicy tomato and these really fresh fries. And then you come out of the drive-thru. And you open your bag and you pick up this soggy, greasy mess that has, I think that's lettuce, and the tomato fell off. And wow, they could have, could have salted the sea with that much salt and you get something that you weren't advertised. What was promoted was not what you had received. It reminded me of reviews of of restaurants and online shopping, anything really that you're going out and looking to buy. You read what someone has described of what they've received and what they've gotten and how great it is. Maybe you've watched an infomercial and you've sat there and think, wow, that would really make my life easier And you went out and purchased that because it's super useful. And the expectations of of what you actually receive changed when you get it. You receive not what you thought you would. Sinai and Zion are somewhat similar. The Israelites had escaped hundreds of years of slavery. they have been in the desert for a few months. And now they're going to have God come down and dwell in their midst what an exciting thing now i don't think god's commercial of what was going to take place was a lie to them i think their expectations of what god was going to do was more than what they actually thought this god had freed them from slavery something awesome was going to come from this meeting there was excitement and joy but i think like most infomercials or reviews they were going to they were not getting exactly what they expected to get. So if you'd read with me from Hebrews, uh, we're just going to read verses 18 through 21. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest, and the sound of a trumpet and voices who, whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they cannot endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. In verses 18 through 21, we see the beginning of this comparison. We see the Israelites preparing their hearts and bodies to meet with God. How excited must they have been? The God that had freed them out of Egypt They've heard all about all of these Egyptian gods and their power and what they could do. And now they've seen a God truly show them power. The God their parents and their grandparents and their great grandparents had shared with them about. They'd heard the promises of Abraham, how they would be a great people, vast and numerous and with many blessings. And now they were going to have that opportunity to meet that God. Now all they had to do was prepare. We have to remember back to Exodus 19 and Deuteronomy 4 as Moses recounts the story of Mount Sinai. In order for God's divine presence to make an entrance, the people had to prepare themselves. They had to consecrate themselves before God. They washed their clothes, they abstained from sexual relationships, and they made themselves ceremonially clean. They also had to observe God's rule that no man or beast Should touch the mountain. On that day, the day that God showed up, there was a majestic display of God's power. Lightning like fireworks in the sky, thunder booming around the mountain, the top of the mountain invisible due to the immense smoke gathered around it as God descended on the mountain like a raging inferno, and the mountain trembled beneath him. In the midst of this sight, there was a great sound, a sound of a trumpet. A sound that was gaining strength and power. The trumpet sound grew louder and louder and Moses spoke and God answered him with thunder. And the voice of God was so loud that the people begged for God to stop. Now want you think about that just for a moment, they wanted to meet God and God began to speak to them and they were like, whoa, this is way too much. Way too much. Stop, God. The Israelites, the Israelite people begged for the presence of God, for the freedom from slavery, and for the life of being trapped. They wanted the promises of that infomercial. They wanted to run the race, but did not realize what the race had for them. As they entered into the magnificence of God's presence, it was too high of a cost to pay. The power that reverberated around the mountain. Was too much for the people to handle. Entering into the presence of God was a lot more than what was expected. Even being ceremonially clean, they still came to the mountain that could not be touched. They were clean, but yet they could not approach. The ceremonial nature of their faith was not enough to enter into the presence of God. This sight was so terrifying that Moses himself was trembling with fear. God's chosen leader was terrified. God sat atop Mount Sinai, a blazing symbol of his holiness. The fire emphasizing his role as judge in an all-consuming fire. The effect, that, the effect God had that day was to show the ultimate unapproachableness of God. For to touch the holiness of God meant certain death. Anything that came to the mountain was either going to immediately die or was meant to be stoned or shot with arrows. God was unapproachable. Sinai laid out an important fact for us in the Israelites. God had brought about fear to them to test their faith. That God is holy, and for a sinner to approach God, we need grace. The great problem with Sinai is that while men and women could see the holiness of God, the laws provided no power to enter into it. Being ceremonial clean was not enough. Understanding the need for grace at the untouchable mountain and during our lifelong race, The writer explains what Jesus has truly done for us and why we should persevere. The finish line isn't quite out of our reach. We had a great time of of this, getting what you expect. Jenny and I, when we got married, uh, we decided to, we took our honeymoon to the north shores of Minnesota. Uh, It's a very beautiful place right along Lake Superior. And when we were up there, one day we decided we would go to Lutzen Mountain, and we would take a hike. Uh, There was this really nice restaurant there. And so we're like, we're going to, we got there at like 10 a.m. And so we stopped into the little place and we said, all right, we're looking for about a two-hour hike that will bring us right back here, and then we're going to get lunch. And so we were expecting this great, nice walk, this lovely hike through God's creation, followed by a very delicious lunch. So we were very equipped for a two-hour walk. I think we had two to three bottles of water and two granola bars. So the lady tells us, all right, just walk down the road, and I want you to get on the blue path. There will be a little blue signpost there, and you just walk on that. So we get on the blue path, and we begin walking. Uh, And this was before the time of cell phones. We did have them, but we didn't actually have them with us at that moment. So, we didn't know what time it was because neither one of us wore a watch. And we just kept walking. And we kept walking. And then we realized all of our water and granola bars were gone. And along the way, there was something we should have realized that this journey was a lot different than what we expected because we kept passing people. Now, we didn't pass, and they looked at us really funny. And here's why Ginny and I were in shorts and t shirts and tennis shoes not hiking shoes and the people roaming past us were like full backpacks with hiking gear and all this extra supplies we were just really confused so we kept walking we're like eventually it has to end it's just a trail around the mountain we had looked at the map we got on the blue path like the lady had said and so eventually we're up on this mountain and we're like oh we must have reached the top so we must just swing back down and then we're done and then we're looking around and I'm like man that cell phone tower looks like the one we parked under and Jenny's like no it can't be it's like this big and then all of a sudden we realized what had happened we got on the light blue trail not the dark blue trail The lady forgot to mention that. And not only did we get on the wrong trail, but the trail we were on was a trip from Duluth, Minnesota to Thunder Bay, Canada. We wondered why everyone was so prepared and we were not. And the reality is that oftentimes when we come into God's presence and we desire that, we think in our own minds this is what it's going to look like. And that's not exactly the way God has laid it out for us or for our life. And as we run the race, though, there's something exciting about the finish line. So let's finish here what the writer of Hebrews has wrote about these mountains. For you have not come to what may be touched a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and voices whose words may the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they cannot endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was a sight. Was the sight that Moses said, "I tremble with fear." No, that's not where we head. This is where we're headed. But well, you have come to Mount Zion, into the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to innumerable angels in festal gathering, into the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, into God, the judge of all, into the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, into the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. We don't come to a mountain that is untouchable, but one that we've already arrived at. In contrast to the magnificent, frightening scene of Mount Sinai, we get an awe-striking picture of the heavenly city of God, a city to which believers have already had access to. Sinai was the past. Zion was the future with Christ. We come to the greatest city, the city of God, the heavenly Jerusalem. This is not the Jebusite stronghold that David captured and turned into the home of the ark. For this Solomon eventually built the temple and made it God's earthly dwelling place. This is Zion, the heavenly dwelling. Our future destination as well as our present journey. The frightening pictures of blazing fires, darkness, gloom, the trumpet blast, and a booming and inaudible voice is replaced by the city of the living God the heavenly Jerusalem. Instead of the fear and distance the Israelites experienced, we now have a welcoming, jubilant party. The contrast is so sharp between Mount Zion and Mount Sinai that God's glory is ultimately displayed in such a marvelous way. This heavenly city where the living God dwells. It's not just some city, but it's where God dwells. It's where God dwells. This is not God descending in a ball of fire or talking through a bush. This is God's very presence in the midst of the city. The race we run points not just to a finish line, but a city where the living God dwells. The contrast between Sinai and Zion shows us a finish line. Or another way to view it, it shows us our citizenship. Not our citizenship here on earth, but how we are no longer citizens on earth. As you read about this city, I want you to notice the verb in verse 22. It says, you have come. It doesn't say you will, or you might, or in the end. It says, you have come. Meaning right now, right here, you can take part in the magnificence of this city. It isn't just a future promise, but one we can receive right now today. As we enter into this city, we see thousands upon thousands of angels. Uh, Josiah, we recently got Josiah a new Bible. We had read through his like little kitty Bible, and we wanted to give him bigger pictures of the story. And we, I really love this Bible because it's very... Uh, detailed in the stories. And one of the coolest things that we found in this Bible is the way that they depict the angels. Uh, the angels aren't small and feminine and little and weak. They are these gigantic, powerful men imposing figures for God, and it's a cool and understandable picture of what the angels look like. And as we show up to this city, there are thousands upon thousands that are gathered around having a festal celebration. A very sharp contrast to the fear and terror of Sinai. In the city, we see multiple, multitudes of angels celebrating God, and we get to be part of that. The festival celebration here uses the same word the Jews use for their Sabbath celebrations. This is a celebration of rest. The race is over and in heaven now the rest comes. While the Israelites stood in terror of the sound of trumpet of the sound of trumpets, we will stand side by side with the angels worshiping God. Next we come to the assembly of the firstborn, and we all know that Jesus is the firstborn. And all rights of the heir go to the firstborn. But we also know what Paul says throughout the New Testament. In Romans 8, 17, he calls us fellow heirs with Christ. There's no second, no third, no fourth sons or daughters. We are all considered firstborn. We get the big inheritance. Christians are no longer earthly citizens. Our home is in heaven, and as such, we enjoy the privileges of it. Paul declares in Philippians 3.20, But our citizenship is in heaven. From it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he goes on in Ephesians 2.6 and says, God raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. This is our finish line. This is our home. This is where we're headed. After the assembly, we also come to the judge who is God of all. God being judged goes all the way back to Genesis 18. But God being over all gives him the power to judge all. The mention, of God, the mention of God being judged shows us that as believers we will stand before him on trial. The assembly will gather before God Almighty and be judged. However, we know some truth. We know by the assembly and the celebration of multitudes of angels that this gathering is one of celebration. The outcome should be good before the judge, right? That Sinai entering into the presence of God brought death, but being granted access to Zion has a different outcome. It's different for us, Right? And the writer of Hebrews' response is, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. That's the outcome for those in Zion. But what does it mean to be made perfect or to be righteous? We can look at what the writer wrote earlier to better understand. In Hebrews 10:14, he said, For by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Being made perfect means that we are lacking nothing. In our relationship with God, we can stand before the judge because of Jesus, because we lack nothing. If we are lacking nothing, we can be in his presence, but what does it mean for us to be righteous? The righteous are those who live a life dedicated, directed by their faith through God's will. The ultimate goal of those being made perfect through the sacrifice with Christ is so that we can be in the presence of God. Jesus paid it all so we can have it all. Because Jesus stood as a, in as the mediator, we can be made perfect, judged according to Christ's sacrifice, rather than our own works. The law of the Israelites could not get them to God. Even though they were ceremonial clean, they still cannot go to the mountain. But with Christ mediating on our behalf, we can enter into Zion. And the reality is, this is the crux of our entire Christian walk. While running to God is so, why running to God is so important? Because Christ mediated on our behalf, giving his life as a sacrifice for our sins, making the way to the finish line truly possible. following Christ's explanation of our mediator we see the reference to his death the law required a sacrifice of life and the shedding of blood for sins the heifer while important was only an outward cleansing it didn't do the job the sprinkling of christ's blood was the ultimate price for our sins As we think about the shedding of the blood of Christ, the author alludes to the word of Abel. Abel was righteous in the eyes of God because he gave the best he had. The best he had was not good enough for the law. But faith in Christ and what he did is, and so much more. Now, yesterday morning, uh, Josiah and I were playing, and while we were playing, I was watching some Olympics because the Olympics are on, and that's just what we do. Uh, Usually, it involves Josiah running, flipping, jumping, hopping, all around trying to do some Olympic sports. Uh, But I was watching the women's triathlon. Uh, I think the word triathlon makes me tired. Uh, But watching these women run a triathlon is just amazing. If you don't know what a triathlon is, it's a grueling swim-bike run. Uh, I can't swim or run, so I guess I just have to ride the bike the whole time. But uh, this event, usually if you're fast, like extremely fast and well-conditioned, takes about two hours. Uh, So they are playing this live filled with commercials and things because... Honestly, it gets a little boring watching uh, because it's so long. But as I watched this, I began to think about our own walk and run with God. I began to think about our own race. And as I watched, I kept hearing about this heavily favored American woman that it was her race to lose, meaning all she had to do was go out there and do what she knew she had to do, and she was guaranteed a gold medal. Now, she did go on to win the gold medal in, in amazing fashion. Uh, but as I thought about it, I thought about her own spiritual race. See, this race was hers to lose, and all she had to do was focus on giving her all. As I thought about that idea in our spiritual journey, I understood the truth, how that had to reflect on us. See, I don't believe that we can, per se, lose the race but I believe that we are the front runners, the gold medalists of being in God's presence, and we've already got the medal. We just have to get out there and run the race. Run knowing that all of God's promises have come or are coming true as we run towards the ultimate goal of being in His presence. See, often I believe we confuse our goals with God's finish line. And I think this is where we often struggle as Christians. We plan, we think about what we want in life, and then we seek it out, and only to realize that we are running our race and not God's. We often wonder why God's race is in our way and miss the ultimate goal. And here's our ultimate goal as we end this morning our goal is a vast assembly of believers. Surrounded by a multitude of angels, worshiping an amazing, all powerful, all consuming God. Because Jesus mediated on our behalf. Run the race because the finish line is pretty amazing. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we. We thank you that we can read about stories of your power. About the storm you brought about Sinai to show your presence. To show the truth of your power and your holiness and how we needed something to enter into your holiness. That some ritual or ceremony or good attitude or hard work could never get us into your presence but father we're also grateful more than grateful we owe you our lives because you had a plan for that you had a plan to send jesus into this world to offer up his life is the ultimate ceremonial sacrifice that he would die on the cross, that he would shed his blood to cover our sins, that he would die and conquer death and raise again. That was always your plan. And Father, all you require of us is our full belief and our willingness to run that race. Our belief that we've already got the gold medal that we get to experience your presence here on earth as well as in heaven and so father we thank you for that we thank you for what you've given to us life through jesus and father we want to run the race that brings you glory and honor We thank you for allowing us to experience your kingdom right here and now. And Father, we look forward to celebrating in heaven. We're ready for the party. So Father, we thank you for all that you do because Jesus mediated on our behalf. We pray all these things in his holy name. Amen.